Today's broadcast originally aired on July 31st, 2023. He's like a never-ending, bottomless pit of illegality. I mean, he was obstructing justice, but he wasn't just obstructing justice. He was obstructing justice about his prior efforts to obstruct justice. Mm -hmm. He's like a Matryoshka doll of, of, of criminality, this man. Yes, he is. And somehow we're going to get caught up with it today. Maybe. Live from inside the audio closet at Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Out in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing. Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling live edition of the Bradcast from inside that audio closet. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. How you doing? Are you hot in there? Uh, yeah, you know, the air warm. conditioning still doesn't work uh-huh. here in the control room, so yep. it's a toasty fun 85 degrees. Good luck to inside. you. Okay, and <laughs> and let the heat wave continue. Thanks, climate change. Uh, it, you know, it kind of f- feels like the, uh, the calm before the storm, or even... Um, particularly following the breaking news on new charges against Donald Trump in the stolen documents case at the very, very end of our last show last week. Uh, It kind of feels like the storm before the storm. But we will get to that stormy weather in a little bit, maybe with your calls if you'd like to ring in on Donald Trump's latest woes or anything related to it or even anything else over your public airwaves. As time allows, 818-985-5735. Is my phone number 818-985-5735. I've got a lot I want to try to get to. uh, But of course, hearing from you is always the best way to start off my week, even if uh, and especially if you happen to disagree with anything that I might have to say on any particular thing and you want to straighten me out. Uh, though, if you want to do that, please do so before the final three minutes of the show, uh, as seems to be the habit of a few. Uh, that's kind of what they do, isn't it, it does? They, yeah, they often wait until the very end of the show, and then we run out of time, and it's so hard right. because they have such great comments. We'd love or, to hear them. Or they call in, they're mean to you, and they say, but I don't want to go on air. 
True. Tell him what a jerk he is. Anyway, 818-985-KPFK. If you are in our live Southern California listening area or listening live over the kpfk.org web stream, I do want to start here, however. Uh, Before we get to the much-indicted and disgraced former president of the United States and the GOP frontrunner, nonetheless, for the 2024 nomination, because as you know, we cover the U.S. Supreme Court pretty closely on this program, particularly since the far-right activist majority on that court has turned to constant, unabashed legislating from the bench— since uh, becoming stolen and packed and wildly corrupted by gifts and inappropriate relations with, uh, with GOP megadonors while these judges are sitting on the bench with lifetime appointments. If you follow this program or bradblog.com over the past 20 years or so, you know that I've long held that Justice Clarence Thomas was the most corrupted member of the court. From his scandalous, bogus response to multiple women charging him with sexual harassment at his sexual, uh, at his, well, there you go, at his Senate confirmation hearing back in 1991, presided over, by the way, by one Senator Joe Biden at the time with hundreds of thousands of dollars in support for uh, for Clarence Thomas back then by a little known at the time, a little known group named Citizens United. You've probably heard of them since since they got a big favor from uh, from the Supreme Court, including Clarence Thomas. Uh, from that to the revelations that we helped reveal uh, exposing uh, him back in 2011 as having unlawfully failed to report years of salary to his far-right GOP activist wife, Ginny Thomas, money that came from the right-wing Heritage Foundation on his annual disclosure forms. He forgot, just forgot to put that in. He actually didn't forget. He said none. His wife got no uh, a salary. She did. He lied. It's unlawful. He was never held to account. To his failure since then to recuse on January 6 related cases, despite his wife having sent dozens of texts and emails to Donald Trump's then chief of staff, Mark Meadows, begging him to help Trump steal the election in 2020. To the recent jaw-dropping revelations that Clarence Thomas has for decades now been accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in luxury vacations and private school tuition. For his grandnephew from GOP megadonor Harlan Crow, and even that the head of the right wing Federalist Society, Leonard Leo, uh, who has uh, helped to shape the federal courts to turn them into the corrupt right wing bastion that they are. Uh, Leonard Leo uh, (laughs) has given at least $100,000 in cash, cash payments to Clarence's wife, Ginny, in recent years. With all of that, Clarence Thomas has, to my mind, always been the most corrupt, the most corrupt Supreme Court justice to likely ever sully the bench. But I got to say. In recent days, Sam Alito certainly appears to be giving Clarence Thomas a run for his money, or at least for his right-wing GOP megadonor's money. Recently, it was revealed by ProPublica that Justice Alito, who was also receiving undisclosed private uh, uh, plane luxury vacations courtesy of right-wing megadonor and vulture capitalist Paul Singer, 
who had business before the, the court, before Alito's court on multiple occasions from which Alito never recused himself, apparently. That trip was arranged by, yep, the Federalist Society's Leonard Leo. Go figure. So is it any wonder that legal experts and Democrats have been trying to reform this corrupted Supreme Court in recent years by uh, expanding it to 13 seats in order to unpack it after it was packed by Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump or to set term limits for Supreme Court justices? Or at the very least, force Supreme Court justices to follow the same ethics requirements that every other federal judge other than the Supreme Court justices must follow? To date, uh, while succeeding and, and, and doing the right thing on a whole lot of other progressive priorities, from the economy to the environment, Joe Biden has failed to call for court reform. He seems to oppose it, in fact. But I don't think that fight is yet over. In the meantime, this happened late last week. As AP describes it, Justice Samuel Alito says Congress lacks uh, the power to impose a code of ethics on the Supreme Court. Congress can't do it, according to Alito, making him the first member of the court to take a public stand against proposals in Congress to toughen ethics rules for justices in response to increased scrutiny of their activities beyond the bench. Quote, I know this is a controversial view, said Alito, but I'm willing to say it. This in an interview that he gave to Rupert Murdoch's uh, Wall Street Journal opinion pages. Quote, no provision in the Constitution gives them, Congress, the authority to regulate the Supreme Court. Period, said Alito. An account to the interview, which the paper said took place in New York in early July, was published on Friday. A sitting justice on the Supreme Court argues that Congress, which has for years determined things like, oh, I don't know how many seats there will even be on the Supreme Court. A sitting justice has, quote, uh, says they have, quote, no authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period. Well, then who does, sir? Apparently, uh, nobody, if Alito has his way, yes, Alito's way, Democrats uh, last pushed uh, uh, the Supreme Court ethics legislation through a Senate committee just last week, though the bill's prospects in the full Senate are dim because 10 Republicans would have to join all of the Democrats to adopt such reform. And since the Republican Party at this time apparently favors corruption, it seems unlikely this bill is going to move very far. And in any event, that party, the Republican Party, does not want to push out corrupted justices like Clarence Thomas or Samuel Alito. Not while a Democrat would replace him sitting in the White House. So they're just fine with corruption, at least from, you know, hard right GOP appointed activist jurists. No problem with the Republicans about that. The, uh, the 73-year-old Alito, who joined the court in 2006, has rejected the idea that he should have disclosed the private plane Alaska fishing trip or 
that he should have stepped away from cases involving GOP donor and hedge fund owner Paul Singer. AP notes, adding that Alito penned his own Wall Street Journal op-ed several weeks ago, which was published just hours before ProPublica posted its story on Alito's undisclosed corruption. While no other justice has spoken so definitively about ethics legislation, AP reports, Chief Justice John Roberts, whose wife, by the way, has herself made millions of dollars from helping attorneys get seated on the federal bench. Roberts has also raised questions about Congress's authority to oversee the high court, though not quite as blatantly as Alito did it. In his year-end report back in 2011, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the justices comply with legislation that would be congressional legislation specifically enacted after Watergate. They comply with legislation that requires annual financial disclosures and limits their outside earned income. Quote, the court has never addressed whether Congress may impose those requirements on the Supreme Court. Roberts noted at the time, adding the justices nevertheless comply with those provisions. Well, in response to Alito's remark that no provision in the Constitution gives them the authority, gives Congress the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, in response to that, Democratic U.S. Senator from Connecticut and member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Chris Murphy, explained on CNN why he believes that Sam Alito is dead wrong. His seat on the Supreme Court exists only because of an act passed by Congress. It is Congress that establishes the number of justices on the Supreme Court. It is Congress that has passed in the past requirements for justices to disclose certain information. Um, And so it is just wrong on the facts to say that Congress doesn't have anything to do with the rules guiding the Supreme Court. In fact, from the very beginning, Congress has set those rules. But it is even more disturbing that Alito feels the need to insert himself into a congressional debate. And it is just uh, more evidence that these justices on the Supreme Court, these conservative justices, just see themselves as politicians. They just see themselves as a second legislative body that has just as much power and right to impose their political will on the country as Congress does. They are going to bend the law in order to impose their right-wing view of how the country should work on the rest of us. Um, And it's why we need to pass this common-sense ethics legislation to at least make sure we know that these guys aren't in bed having their lifestyles paid for by conservative donors, as we have unfortunately seen uh, in these latest revelations. Yeah, that would be right. That would be good, wouldn't it? Were it not for a Congress establishing that there would be nine justices on the court, as Murphy notes, Alito might not be sitting there at all in bed with these uh, right-wing mega-donors. The number of justices on the court has changed many times over the history of this nation, always thanks to congressional legislation. So the idea that actually that's not true. Uh, It changed for about a year from nine justices to eight justices back in 2016 when Mitch McConnell refused to seat then President Barack Obama's uh, uh, nominee to the court. (laughs) Funny how people forget that court packing and uh, freezing the size of the court. Yeah, changing the size of the court for uh, for a full year. Thanks to Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. 
Uh, so the idea, though, that Congress has no right to regulate the Supreme Court is simply absurd. And if it came in from, you know, a caller or someone, I might forgive them, 818-985-5735. But this is coming from a Supreme Court justice who claims to follow the text, uh, the very words, the literal words of the Constitution. Now, I'm not a I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not even an attorney for that matter, like the great Sam Alito, who claims that, uh, quote, no provision in the Constitution gives Congress the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period, unquote. But I do happen to have a copy of the Constitution. So it's pretty easy to actually look it up and read Article three, sections one and two, which establish the federal judiciary. Here's just a few very easy to read portions of that very short section of our founding document about which justices like Sam Alito have been granted the final say in interpreting for everyone else in the country. From Article 3, Section 1, quote, The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. Well, that sure sounds like the Constitution giving authority to Congress to regulate the Supreme Court. But from Article 3, Section 2, it's even clearer. Quote, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact. And here's the complicated, difficult to understand part of it. They shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. Oh, you textualist, you. I mean, could it be any clearer? Apparently not for Alito. Apparently not for the esteemed and wildly corrupt Justice Sam Alito, who tells us, quote, no provision of the Constitution gives Congress the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period, he said, unquote. That's the guy who just overturned 50 years of constitutionally protected reproductive freedoms and so much more. That's the guy we're all supposed to trust to interpret our Constitution for us. So am I missing something here? Please feel free to let me know. It seems like it could not be clearer. 818-985-5735 is my phone number. I would welcome calls from any lawyers or constitutional scholars out there who, uh, you know, who might like to counter my argument or Chris Murphy's argument. And seemingly the Constitution's argument in its actual easy-to-understand text there that I just read to you. But believe it or not, this story gets worse than that. The, uh, the Friday column in the Wall Street Journal was co-written by James Toronto, the paper's editorial features editor, and a guy by the name of David Rivkin, a Washington lawyer. Rivkin, as it turns out, represents, wait for it, Leonard Leo the one-time leader of the Federalist Society, in his dealings with Senate Democrats who want, to, uh, who, who want details of Leo's dealings with the justices as they are working on reform of the court. Remember, in addition to giving tons of cash money to Clarence Thomas's wife, Leonard Leo also helped arrange Sam Alito's fishing trip to Alaska. But 
It gets even worse and more corrupt than that for the wildly corrupt Sam Alito. As TPM's Josh Kavinsky reports, Justice Sam Alito gave a softball interview published on Friday to two Wall Street Journal writers, including the one who is an attorney representing plaintiffs in a key case right now before the Supreme Court. Yep. Alito spoke with attorney David Rivkin, the attorney and a Wall Street Journal opinion editor, for an interview published on the Wall Street Journal's opinion page. Rivkin regularly writes for the journal's opinion section and is an attorney at the law firm Baker Hostetler. It's there that he has a key item of business before the court right now. Kavinsky reports he's part of a team representing the plaintiffs in Moore v. U.S. That is a new case that was just picked up by the court a few weeks ago at the end of their recent term, which asks the court to upend the country's tax system and potentially foreclose the idea of a wealth tax of the kind that some Democrats have championed in recent years. Rivkin and his co-author, Toronto, uh, you know, at least had the decency to disclose in the column that Rivkin had a case before this court. They also wrote that Alito sat with them for more than four hours of interviews across two sessions, with the first one taking place way back in April. Well, I wish I got to sit and talk for four hours with a Supreme Court justice while I had a case before his or her court. But a lot of actual attorneys do as well. As Kavinsky notes, the column itself lavishes more than 2,400 words on Sam Alito, praising him for a, quote, candor that is refreshing and can be startling, unquote, they said. Alito used the interview to assail an effort by Senate Democrats to pass a judicial ethics bill. Quote, uh, this according to uh, Kathleen Clark, a law professor at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, she told uh, TPM that she found the column troubling, quote, I believe it was imprudent of Alito to interview with a lawyer representing a party with a case pending before his court. Arguably, she said, Rivkin is giving Alito something of value in these pieces and Alito may well feel grateful to him raising the problem of impartiality in the critical landmark case that the U.S. Supreme Court will soon decide. Stephen Rosenthal, a tax attorney and expert at Brookings, uh, Urban Brookings, has described the Moore case as potentially destructive to the tax code and expressed shock that Alito even did the interview. He said, quote, he's either tone deaf or simply doesn't give a damn about ethics and the appearance of conflict. Well, yeah, I would say it was the, the latter choice. Actually, uh, both, all of the above. Rivkin's involvement in the, in the Moore case goes back to when it was first filed at the district court back in 2019. So it can be argued, uh, oh, uh, you know, it can't be argued that, that this is a new thing. Alito had no idea. What? He didn't know. When he sat down to interview with him for four hours in September of 2021, Rivkin and another attorney representing the plaintiffs wrote up an op-ed for The Wall Street Journal presenting the case, this case, as a way for the Supreme Court to head off any potential future wealth tax of 
the kind that was under consideration by Democratic legislatures, a way to head it off as unconstitutional. Here it comes, Sam Alito. If the plaintiffs prevail, the pair wrote at the time, that would confirm that the U.S. Supreme Court's precedents remain good law and clearly bar any kind of federal property tax, including a wealth tax. The plaintiffs, represented by Rivkin, lost that argument at both the district court and at the appellate court levels, so they then asked the U.S. Supreme Court, their good friends, to hear the case earlier this year in March of 2023. The Rivkin and Toronto article published on Friday said the authors began speaking with Alito in April for a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that would be just after they had appealed to the high court to hear Rivkin's uh, to, to have them hear Rivkin's case. As the Supreme Court was still mulling whether to hear it or not, Rivkin sat down with one of the guys deciding whether they would hear it or not. That same month, Alito uh, published his highly unusual pre-buttal of that ProPublica piece in the same editorial pages over at the Wall Street Journal with his friends, hoping to preempt ProPublica's article on that luxury fishing vacation that Alito took with the billionaire Paul Singer as arranged by Leonard Leo. So with these guys who have these lawyers, who attorneys who have business before the court, mm-hmm. after they asked the court to listen to their case that lower courts all denied, then mm-hmm. they said, hey, Supreme Court and our friend Alito, would you like to listen to this case? And here, may we do a very fawning um, article yep. about you where yep. you tell me that the Congress has no right, no right whatsoever to regulate. It sounds to me like they are so... And um, so sure of their power, Ah, so sure that there will be no accountability, that they're almost laughing at us by being this blatant about it. That's Sam Alito for (laughs) you. And the paper's editorial board, again, Toronto, you know, one of the two guys who who interviewed uh, interviewed Alito, uh, the, the editorial board published a call for the Supreme Court to take on that case, the Moore case, saying it would allow the Supreme Court to, quote, Shut the constitutional door to a wealth tax. Two weeks later, on June 26, after they published that op-ed, well, the corrupted court agreed to hear the Moore case. Rosenthal, the tax expert, told TPM that he regards that case, which the plaintiffs filed over a $14,000 tax debt, but which could upend the entire national tax system, Rosenthal, the tax expert, told uh, TPM, uh, quote, it's a stalking horse to prevent to preempt billionaire taxes. Alito, in his interview with Rivkin uh, and and dutifully dutifully reported by Rivkin, said that he holds himself to higher ethical and disclosure standards than are mandated by law, as is, he says, he already holds himself to higher standards. On whether justices agree with him that Congress cannot impose an ethical code on the court, Alito reportedly said, quote, I don't know that any of my colleagues have spoken about it publicly, so I don't think I should say. But I think it's something we have all thought about. And that is the guy who wrote the opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade and its 50 years of constitutionally protective reproductive freedoms. And he has been on the right-wing activist, pro-corporate, pro-business, 
pro-billionaire, anti-labor side of virtually every court opinion that has been issued since he was confirmed to his lifetime seat under George W. Bush in 2006. So is it any wonder, really, that approval for the Supreme Court has now plummeted among the American people to an all-time low of 29 percent in the Quinnipiac poll that was taken in late June, with nearly 60 percent of Americans disapproving of the court. As Quinnipiac reported at the time, nearly 7 in 10 Americans, or 68 percent, think that the Supreme Court is mainly motivated by politics, while just 25 percent think that the Supreme Court is mainly motivated by the law. But where did they get that idea? And yes, Americans who do not seem to agree on virtually anything these days, well, they seem to agree with the idea of court reform, even though Sam Alito insists nobody has the right to regulate the court other than, I guess, the court themselves. And he just gave a four-hour interview to the guy opposing court reform in Congress, who also happens to have a case before him at the high court. Well, at least Americans agree on this. A majority of Americans, the Quinnipiac survey found in June, 63 percent support limiting the number of years a Supreme Court justice can serve on the Supreme Court, while just 29 percent oppose that idea. So, yeah, there's something Americans agree on. Sam Alito doesn't, and he's willing to do anything to uh, uh, play out his activism uh, before the American people. All right, got that out of my system. I see that a number of you would like to ring in on that and Donald Trump and his woes. Let me try to get to that uh, next. But, boy, I've been sitting on that all weekend. It has been driving me nuts so as noted, you're welcome to ring in with any thoughts, if you like, 818-985-5735, or I will otherwise get on to some other matters of other fascistic right-wing authoritarianism that continues to threaten our nation, in this case, in the body of Donald J. Trump, and the many cases of felony, criminal, accountability uh, charges that he is now or will soon be facing. Cases, by the way, which will almost certainly end up before that same Supreme Court stacked with the corrupt Clarence Thomas, the corrupt Sam Alito, the corrupt John Roberts, and three justices selected by Leonard Leo and nominated to their currently lifetime uh, appointments, uh, thanks to Congress, uh, their lifetime positions on the Supreme Court. All of that and maybe your calls, if you want to ring in on any particular thing, are all straight ahead after a quick break. On the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. One could end up going to prison One just might be president uh-huh. Yeah. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. 
Keep it going, keep it going. Only in America. There you go. <laughs> Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was the music that the Iowa Republican Party played when Donald Trump took the stage on Friday night at the Iowa uh, State uh, GOP's Lincoln Dinner, a tune by Brooks and Dunn called Only in America with the lyric, quote, one could end up going to prison, one just might be president, as Donald Trump walked out onto the stage. What was the Iowa GOP thinking at their uh, big event featuring 10-minute speeches by, I think, 13 declared GOP presidential candidates? I don't know. But the former president was greeted by cheers from the uh, from the crowd, despite uh, now facing, if my math is correct here, 74 criminal felony counts so far. At both the federal level and in New York State, That's who the Iowa Republicans were cheering for, as he is certainly the most likely at this time to be the one that, yes, quote, could end up going to prison and perhaps just might be the president of 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 all the uh, 13 candidates. And I'm going to get to your calls in a second. 818-985-KPFK. 818-985-5735. Uh, Of all the uh, 13 candidates, GOP Republican presidential candidates who spoke on Friday night, it was really only one of them, one of them who had the guts, former Congressman Will Hurd, Republican of Texas, who had the guts to uh, to call Trump out pretty much. He was the only one to do it, really, in any way, shape or form for his unspeakable Trump's unspeakable corruption. And it did not play well among this crowd. But kudos to him for giving it a shot. And the reason Donald Trump lost the election in 2020 is he failed to grow the GOP brand in areas like women with a college degree in the suburbs, black and brown communities, and people under the age of 35. We need leaders who did, like your governor, Reynolds, who went to places that people didn't expect, and that's how y'all turned red. If we... One of the things we need in our elected leaders, for them to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. Donald Trump is not running for president to make America great again. Donald Trump is not running for president to represent the people that voted for him in 2016 and 2020. Donald Trump is running to stay out of prison. And if we elect... I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Listen, I know the truth. The truth is hard. But if we elect Donald Trump, we are willingly giving Joe Biden four more years in the White House, and America can't handle that. God bless you, and God bless America. (laughs) Now, I don't know if he's right about that. If, in fact, they nominate uh, Donald Trump, they're handing uh, Joe Biden four more years in the White House. I I doubt that, but it was hilarious that he walked off to booze and jeers. Yes, he did. It was a mic drop, uh, just like, uh, if, if we do that, we're screwed. Good night, everyone. Boom. 
He was out. 818-985-5735. I welcome your calls over your public airwaves on anything you'd like to talk about uh, or ask me about or even argue with me about. 818-985-KPFK. I've got a lot more to get to, but I want to. But you are welcome to sidetrack me. So let me get to uh, some of that sidetracking with uh, Roger in Minneapolis. Hey, Roger. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. I think it's been a while since we chatted. How are you, sir? I'm okay. Um, I just need to check with you. Can you hear me clearly, Brad? I can hear you clearly, Roger. Can you hear me clearly? Yes. All right. So um, the problem that we're facing here is not so much um, uh, a uh, lack of constitutional definition around uh, the Supreme Court as it is uh, a concern that was voiced by the founding fathers around the establishment of factions, which later came to be known as political parties. Mm-hmm. And what what we what we have now is I, I, there was, a, I believe, a basic assumption, even though there was a lot of concern voiced um, around um, pre- preventing a potential tyrant from taking power and that much of the structure of the Constitution is about avoiding an individual exceeding mm-hmm. uh, to themselves, what they didn't foresee, um, unless we put it in this, the scope of the notion of a fear of this faction development, was that a large number of people, a whole group of people, would become brazen and um, Machiavellian in their use of sheer power because they have the power. So what we have isn't just a single fascist. We have a bunch of people who do not care about the law, and we have this. This, this they, 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 the, the founders somehow hoped that the basic inclination of the future demo, de, de, mm-hmm. participants in a democratic society would be of decent public spirit. Well, and we don't <laughs> that now. We have rank Machiavellianism yep. and groupthink. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. That said, whether the uh, founders hoped for it or not, hoped that there would not be political parties or political factions, obviously there have been. And there are. And if they were afraid that we would get to the point where there was, you know, two political parties corrupting the system or even one, well, that's where we are. So that's what we have to deal with. That's what we have to be concerned with. That's what I'm very concerned with. That's what I uh, took uh, uh, quite quite a bit of time, I think, on one of my shows last week talking about the concerns that I have right now that we're facing in 2024, nothing short of democracy versus autocracy, and that democracy, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because it only seems to be supported by one party, the Democratic Party. They seem to be the of the two major ones. They seem to be the pro-democracy party. And then there's the Republican Party, which seems to be the anti-democracy party or the pro-authoritarian party. And that's what we have to deal with, period, end of story. And, uh, you know, what we do about it, we can complain, oh, the Founding Fathers didn't get it right. Hell, had they gotten it right, Sam Alito might have come along and still lied about them and still ignored the specific text of the Constitution, as I described in the previous segment. Well, Brad, I'll just throw this in to cap things off for our conversation. Um, The... 
answer to that has been clear to me all along. This battle is being fought out on multiple levels of education. Mm -hmm. Individual conversations are a very important part of what we need to do. Talking about these things together, Mm -hmm. um, and also media. You are a mass educator. Now, that's not to say that most of what we are here, you are able to speak to is the choir, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, it's, it's a huge educational task that we face. Uh, that's really our only hope. Yep. Uh, well, I know. And actually, it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, in addition to democracy and election reform, uh, and environmental reform, one of our key topics is media reform, because you can't have democracy reform, you can't have election reform, you can't have environmental reform unless the media tells the story, unless you reform the media. So that's what we fight to do here every day. That's why we try to open up the phone lines when possible. And no, I don't know that we're def- necessarily uh, speaking to the choir. We got a few of them uh, hanging on who, who may feel different about that. So let me jump off. But Roger, good to hear from you, sir, up in Minneapolis. It's going to get uh, warm up there, I think, in the coming days. But uh, you also have all of the Republican candidates coming to your town August 23rd for the first 2024 presidential debate. So good luck to you, sir. You, Icky. <laughs> good luck. Thanks, Roger. Take care up there. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to uh, Brian in Venice. That's Venice, California, not Venice, Italy. Hey, Brian, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yes, sir. Aside from all the uh, valid points already made, mm-hmm. why would any rational person, let alone the founders founding the first democracy, mm-hmm. Why would they ever allow an unelected body yes. to have unrestricted, insalable rights? <laughs> I, you know, I, I know it's absurd, and I'm glad you mentioned it, Brian, because as I was listening to uh, Chris Murphy, I sort of distracted myself. But when he called uh, these politicians like uh, Sam Alito, or I'm sorry, these justices like Sam Alito, he called them politicians. Because uh, they're activists. Well, they may be activists, but they're not politicians. Because politicians actually have to face the voter; they can be removed from office. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. It's curious. Curious. It's ludicrous. The whole thing is ludicrous. It is. But what are you going to do? Yeah. Thanks. It still happen anyway. <laughs> yep. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate your call. 818. Oops. Uh, well, hang on. I don't want to drop anybody accidentally. I'm not very good at these phones. 818-985-KPFK. 818-985-5735. All right. There we go. Wes in Los Angeles. Hey, Wes. Welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Great show. Thanks so much for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I agree with the vast majority of what you say. But you said something today that I had to stop and call. Mm-hmm. You said something to the effect of that the Democrats are the only ones in favor of democracy. Mm-hmm. And with, with all due respect, I'd like to suggest that the Supreme Court uh, decision of Sanders versus DNC in 2016, where the private corporation that is the DNC and RNC are not beholden to voters mm-hmm. for the results of who gets the nod, um, that, I don't know, I'm not a you know, a scholar constitutionally, mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem like democracy to me. Um, would you please 
speak on that. For yeah, a so yeah, I will. And as a matter of fact, and just to be clear, uh, I was talking about of the two uh, parties that we, the two major parties that we have, because I don't mean to put down the Libertarians or the Greens or Independents or anyone else, but of the two major parties, one I believe. Uh, and that's sort of why I said, unfortunately, because it's only one of them is the pro-democracy party. The other is the anti-democracy party these days. Um, uh, you know, there are certain less than uh, perfect things that the Democrats have done. Or, I mean, there's a lot of less than perfect things that the Democrats have done if you go back in their history regarding democracy. But um is it a perfect democracy? Are they perfect small d Democrats? No, they absolutely are not. So we hold their feet to the fire when and however we can. Um, How do we do that if as a private corporation they're not beholden to the voters to give us the results of the things that we voted for? Bernie Sanders got more votes than Hillary Clinton. They gave her the nod. No. That's not entirely uh, true. Actually, the way you've characterized that case, uh, Hillary Clinton had many more votes than did Bernie Sanders, who won. uh, She just did. And, uh, you know, believe me, I was not a Hillary Clinton supporter, but I did spend quite a bit of time uh, for many years since. As a matter of fact, since 2016, looking back at that 2016 election, speaking with uh, Bernie Sanders supporters about what the facts were, I would have been happy to have called out Hillary Clinton for stealing that election, as many uh, Sanders supporters uh, falsely claim. Uh, but the evidence is not there for that. So what you're talking about is, uh, you know, what right does the party itself have to have their own opinions about who you know, the leadership would like to see? Yes, they absolutely put their thumb on the scale in favor of Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Uh, not, by the way, particularly heavily, uh, but they did prefer her over him. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have that right to. They are a private entity. Um, you can join a different party if you like. You can vote against them if you like. But as I've been making the case right now, what we're looking at in 2024 is nothing short of democracy versus autocracy when we get to the general election. In the primaries, you have, you know, a lot of pro-democracy candidates have at it. Then we get to look at the nuances of their positions and everything else. But um, in the general election, most likely we are once again going to be looking at a contest of democracy versus autocracy. And I will, as I said, choose the pro-democracy candidate anytime. Absolutely. Um, may I ask one follow-up question before I go? Sure. How do we hold uh, Joe Biden's feet to the fire in reference to balancing the court? Good question. Uh, you know, we can make noise. We can raise hell. Uh, voting him out won't do the trick here, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, we, we need to let him know he is just flat out wrong about expanding the uh, about expanding the court. Now, the good news is he's come around on a lot of stuff. And that was, uh, frankly, thanks to the 2020 primary campaign when, you know, folks like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and so forth, uh, even Kamala Harris in some cases, held his feet to the fire. So that's why elections are important. Uh, if I knew the trick to uh, get. Uh, Joe Biden to come to the right side of the table on this particular one, I'd I'd be singing it here on the airways, but working on it.
<laughs> Thank you so much, Brad, for president. <laughs> Thanks, Wes. I appreciate the call. 818-985-KPFK. We got, uh, once again, a lot of dudes, don't we, Desi Doyen? Actually, like they're all, they're all their names start with M's. So I guess this is the M show. Let me go to Margo in Montebello. Hey, Margo, welcome to the Bradcast. Well, hey, Brad and Desi. I appreciate your program so much and learn so much and get entertained. Thank you. I want to say that to talk more about the tax structure to listen to and learn, Richard Wolf's program, Economic Update, ran before your program and gave great details about that so people could listen on the archives. He taught us that the anti-Robin Hood because it's for the poor to pay for the rich and that but just I so people just so people know that's uh the show that airs before us here on uh, right. uh on kpfk if people are listening on a different station they can go for free to kpfk.org and download the archives okay continue marco exactly. yes now the third thing i wanted to say is that <clears throat> i'd like to have a change in the phrase used to describe this capitalist system it's not right to say, to say it's called vultures. They're not that kind of thing. But it's called, I would like to see it called, heard, make it be called parasitic vampire capitalism. Not yeah. vulture capitalism, no, no, but vampire. Yeah, vampire is more effective. Vultures are a very good bird. They clean up dead things. They're very helpful. Okay. They don't kill and suck the blood. But vampire. Fair enough. Oh, what happened? What happened? What happened? Oh, we lost her. Oh, well. And we lost another one of the M callers. So whoever that M caller was, please call back. Margo, whatever went wrong there. My apologies. I think uh, the internets went sideways here on us in this heat. 818-985-KPFK. Call us back. Let me get to Michael, one of the uh, existing uh, M's, remaining M's. Hey, Michael, welcome in Lake Elsinore. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Uh, let me just start off by saying uh, none of the above. All are wicked. <laughs> none of the above what? None of the above. They're all wicked. What does that mean? That means that Biden, Trump, all the rest of them, the Republicans, none of the above. They're all wicked. They're all anti-people. Okay. So what does that mean? Who? who so does that mean you're not going to vote for anyone? I am going to vote for him, but let me just preface this by saying why Trump lost. Trump lost because spiritual Christians would not vote for for somebody that appointed Jesuits to the Supreme Court, bungled COVID, fentanyl, and a whole host of other things, and plus his God is Apollo. We know that. His God is I Apollo? His God is Apollo. Look it up. And, and six, six, six. All right. And Michael, you voted against him because his God is Apollo? That's right. And the other reasons I gave you, I voted for him the first time because it was a choice between war with Russia right now or wait later on, which we are going to have war with Russia. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, and so you, since you still feel his God is Apollo, you will vote against him in 2024? I, for that and the other other reasons I gave you, absolutely. And I won't vote for any candidates like mm-hmm. Biden or other people who are not pro-people and not pro-democratic process. Also, like I said, uh, Trump put Jesuits on the Supreme Court. That's an abomination to Christians. 
Well, so you're saying that we should have a religious test for who gets onto the Supreme Court, who gets onto the federal judiciary? Really? Uh, no, I'm not saying there's a religious test. That's why Judge Bork lost. Uh, no, no, but you're saying, but you're saying, uh, Michael, that uh, because he put Jesuits, as you say, onto the court, that you would vote against him because you don't like the particular religion or sect of someone who is. No, it's, now, not, it's, no. it's, it's not okay. the religions, Brad. It's what they stand for. It has nothing to do All right. with religion. All right. To me, they're they're demonic uh, uh, figures. But I want everybody to know. Trump has no chance of winning because he's not going to get the fundamentalist votes at all. They will not vote for him knowing what they know about him. Well, your mouth to Apollo's ears. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that call. 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. Oh, we got another one of our M's back. Uh, Mike is back. Uh, Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad, some word you said during the uh, Alito roundup just rang a bell in the back of my head. Wasn't uh, Major Hochstetler a uh, Gestapo major that was running character on Hogan's Heroes? Anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Trump and why getting convicted of one of the or various of these felonies mm-hmm. could be the best thing that ever happened to him psychologically. Yeah. That is that I think since he's been about the age of six, he's wanted to be caught and truly punished for his misdeeds, mm. give himself a sense of psychological security in the world. And he's been frustrated year after year after year, shooting people on Fifth Avenue and getting away with it. If we actually get him convicted finally and a substantial prison sentence, yeah. I think he'll be happy for the first time in his life. We would be doing him a favor to put we him would. in prison, is what you're arguing. All right. I, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's the humane thing to do, Mike. And I'm going to do my best, as always, to do the humane thing and put him in jail. Thanks, Mike. Always good to hear from you, my friends. Stay cool out there in Lake Elsinore. And uh, 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 isn't he Lake Elsinore? No, he's uh, that's the Michael was in Lake Elsinore. All right, he's in L.A. Hey, Mike, wherever you are, stay cool. Thanks, brother. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to Janet. And, you know, we had we actually had uh, quite a bit of Trump-related news, but instead— we're talking about it and him, instead of my reporting it, I'll just say that he lost a couple of uh, legal cases already today. Uh, he was, uh, let's see, the uh, judge in Georgia where Trump has not yet been charged throughout his case where he was claiming that Fonnie Willis had to be removed uh, and that, uh, he, uh, that her, her investigation of him was improper. She hasn't even brought the charges yet. She will any day. But uh, the judge threw out Donald Trump's attempt to have her pushed off that case and to close that investigation. And there was another one, but I forgot, another loss uh, for Donald Trump uh, in in court. What was it? Uh, Fulton County judge. Oh, the big lie. Oh, he had sued uh, CNN because CNN referred to the big lie, his big lie of uh, claiming the election was stolen from him. He claimed Trump claimed that uh, that made him uh, that CNN was calling him Hitler in, in doing so somehow. And the judge 
a Trump appointee said, uh-uh, not so much. Sorry, Bubba. All right, let's get to, we got, I know, I know, uh, Janet in El Segundo. Hey, Janet, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you close enough. What's on your mind, Janet? I'm calling because, you know, while I think, you know, above all. Say it again, Janet, you broke up for a second there. Go ahead. I was just saying that above all, instead of democracy versus anti-democracy, it's the working class versus the capitalist class, the billionaires versus everyone else. Within the Democrats, within the Republicans, within our entire society, Mm -hmm. we are given a special seed for what we should care about, none of which are actually things that matter to us working class day to day. Oh, um, I disagree, but, you know, Janet. I disagree, Janet. Uh, $400 billion has uh, a minimum of $400 billion is being spent, for example, to mitigate the worst effects of climate change, to bring manufacturing back to this country. And it's going like gangbusters. That's good for working people. Uh, It's good for uh, union workers. I mean, I would like it to be better. I would like it to be more. But, boy, it's moving in the right direction for the first time in a long time. The wage gap, uh, middle-class wages are going up. What's wrong with that? It's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's that when you look at the people who were first hurt by climate change, Mm -hmm. it's poor people. It's the people who are experiencing landslides, the people who are losing their homes, the people who are starving because... Their crops are killed. The people mm-hmm. who are hurt by Monsanto yeah. because they can't even plant the seeds themselves. I hear you, so, Janet, and I, I got to get I got to get out here. I'm sorry, I'm coming up to the top of the hour. I do hear you, and I do hope you'll call me back uh, earlier in the hour next time. Uh, I hear you. Right now, it seems to me there's one party that is trying to do something about that. The other party trying to make it worse, as imperfect as it is. But let's let's continue the conversation uh, in the weeks ahead, Janet. I, I don't mean to cut you off here. I do got to get out. Dad. Thank no you. Worries. Thank you. All right. Uh, we, can we have Morris give us 15 seconds? Hey, Mo, 15 seconds. Go, brother. Don't forget, the former president of the United States is out on bail. Thank you. Thank you, Morris. I don't know. Is he out on bail? I, I think he got, was charged no bail. Zero. Does that count as out on bail? I don't know. Anyway, we'll save that for another day as well. Got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our board operator, Wendell Handy, and to our producer, Desi Doyne, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we have ever done, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebook's website formerly known as Twitter and the Mastodons, you will find me at The Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, hopefully, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.